The Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at theocmovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from the movement. Good morning, good morning. Man, that's so good. Let's try one more time. Say good morning. Man, doesn't it just feel good to be in church right now? Yeah, that was so horrible. I'm sure the Lord is so pleased right now. Let's try that again. It doesn't feel good to be in church right now. Yeah. Now, how many of you want some popcorn right now? That's good. God was better than popcorn. We're on a good roll right now. This is good. Man, we're excited that you're here. You made it to the right place. Welcome to the Movement Church. We are in week two of a series called Shades of Grace. We just finished a series called Shades of Grey, and we took clips from the movie. No, I'm kidding. I'm bringing it back. That joke's going to work all year long. Uh, We unpacked some of the standards of God's word for different areas of our life, but now we're not talking about shame, we're not talking about condemnation, just grace. Man, there's some things in the Bible that are difficult at times to understand for even the deepest of scholars and the greatest of theologians, but this whole series is about God's unmerited grace for you and for me. So my hope and our prayer is that this series is encouraging for everybody who walks through the doors And we just want to take a few moments today to unpack a few components to this whole grace thing. But I want to start off with the scripture. And the the scripture is found in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is an awesome passage. You should have this underlined and marked in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll get you one. But the greatest thing is for those of you that have smartphones, there's a free app called YouVersion. And you can get your Bible there. And check this out. This is a great passage. It says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief there is the enemy, Satan, right? He comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I love this passage. This is Jesus talking, and he says this. But I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Can I get an amen for that? That just means, amen just means I agree. Can you just say abundantly for a moment? Let's try that again. Say abundantly. Yeah, that's an awesome passage of scripture, that there's an enemy who's out to get us, but Jesus came to give you and me life, and life more abundantly, life to the fullest, life to the most full capacity that can possibly imagine. Actually, in Ephesians, it says, even more than what I can possibly imagine. And you know, this is what people are pursuing in life. Every single human being on the face of this planet is pursuing fullness or fulfillment to find how can I live life and experience it to the fullest. Yesterday, I was in this theater at 12 o'clock listening to the great theologians that are known as the Minions. Despicable Me Part 3, can I get an amen for that? Bido, Bido, Bido. Right? That's my translation. And even in this quasi-funny, quasi-not-that-great movie, spoiler alert, the entire premise of this film was about these poor, unfortunate minions looking and pursuing fulfillment. And isn't that the case with most of Hollywood? Just about every movie, just about every song is trying to find love trying to find fame, trying to find fortune. You wrap all that up into one word, and that is us pursuing fulfillment. And here the scripture talks about how 
Jesus has come to give us life to the fullest. Yet the truth is that even for many of us who have found who Jesus is or said, yes, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, we tend to pursue fulfillment in different ways than he had designed for you and for me. So if you're here as a Christ follower, we're going to unpack two ways that we tend to, or two uh, directions that we tend to find fullness, or the fullness of life. And maybe you're here today and you're new to this whole church or Christian thing. Maybe you're here today and you're not what you would call a Christian. Even people that you know who claim to be Christ followers are going to fit into one of these two categories. In fact, this might be one of the things that's been a deterrent for you in your discovery of faith. Maybe you've seen these at work and friends that you know or family members. And everybody seated here today, if you're a Christ follower, I guarantee you at some point in your journey in life, in your journey to pursue who Christ is, I guarantee you that at some point you have fallen into one of these two categories. And the challenge is, if we're not careful, we, we really don't understand what grace is. Can we unpack these today? Is that cool? Can we try that again? Can we unpack these today? Man, here's the thing. If you talk back to me, I preach faster. If I don't hear you, I go for like three and a half hours. Is that cool? And here's, here's my promise about this, man. I actually believe that you can have a great marriage and not be a Christ follower. I actually believe that. But I believe that you'll never know marriage to its fullness without Jesus. I actually believe you can raise great kids who accomplish great things, who do well in school and are obedient and are well-behaved and stay out of trouble. I actually believe you can do that without following Jesus. But your kids may never know the fullness. Actually, they won't know the fullness of who they were created to be without Jesus in their life. I believe you can accomplish great things in your life. I believe you can enjoy the things of life that should be great, like things like sex. You can enjoy that without Jesus in your life. But without him at the center, you can't understand it to its fullness. And isn't that what we want in every area of our life? Somebody's like, I do want great sex. Now we're laughing. This is so good. Note to self, say the word sex and people will laugh. Okay, done. So let's dive into this. We're going to unpack two different camps today. We're going to unpack what we're going to call the legalist camp, and we're going to unpack what's called the license camp. And let's just see where we fit into this thing in the mix. Is that cool? Can we do that today? So the legalism camp would be a hyper-religion trying to earn the favor of God. These would be people who would say, I need to pray enough. I need to read enough. I need to listen to the right kind of music, watch certain types of movies, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't go with the girls who do, don't cuss. And if I will, that was kind of okay. That was all right. Okay. Let me strike that one from my notes. I'm kidding. If I avoid or focus on these specific things, then I will experience the fullness of God's favor and delight in my life. And some of you in this room right now are thinking, yeah, that all sounds pretty good. The problem is, I can, if I fit into the legalist camp, then I actually believe that I can control God's affection for me by my behavior. 
Legalism is an outside-in behavior, believing that I can control God's favor for me. So if I act a certain way, live a certain way, do certain things, and don't do certain things, then God's favor and delight will be with me and for me. And while some of you in this room might think this is right, this actually is contrary to what the Word of God is saying. This is the kind of environment that I grew up in. This is the kind of faith that I live for the majority of my life. It still is a struggle for me. There are times when I wake up thinking, if I don't pray more, then God's not going to be right here in the thick of it with me. That his favor and delight in me as a human is dependent upon the amount of time or hours that I spend seeking his face. If you're in the license camp, you ultimately believe that God doesn't know what's best for you. So I'll determine what is. God ultimately doesn't know what's best for me, so I will determine what is. I can do what I want. I'll set my own rules. I mean, how outdated and old school is the Bible anyways? I think there's some good things in there, but I'm going to pick and choose which ones I feel should apply to my life in this moment and in this season. And I think my challenge and my, my concern is that this is becoming the new trend of Christ's followers today. Because most people in, in this generation, maybe in the 20s to maybe late 30s, grew up potentially in a household that was predominantly legalistic, right? Where they were throwing away your, your secular rock CDs, right? And they were checking out the, uh, the, the critiques on the, on the movies to see how many curse words and how, what type of nudity. And, and some of you are thinking, is this a bad thing? And please settle down. Let me get through the message. Then you can all judge me accordingly. But, but I, I think this has kind of been the pendulum swing for our nation today in Christ followers. I mean, God loves me and I love him, but he doesn't really know the fullness of what's best for me. So I'm going to kind of set the course for me and mine. And they seem like they're at odds. They seem like they're actually on opposite ends of the spectrum. And while our response to God's grace might be on the opposite ends of the pendulum, if you will, they're actually very identical. Both legalism and license fail to trust God at his word. Both legalism and license both Fail to trust God as where you see the legalist camp does not believe that God forgives me by his love alone. We might pray a prayer for a moment and there might be times where we feel like God's forgiveness is overwhelming. But at the end of the day, I always come back to the list and the, uh, the set agenda of the things that I did or did not do to earn his love. Delight and fullness for me and for my life. So I attach percentages to God's promises. You know, God, I'll give you, I'll give you 85, 90%. You know, I, I believe that the, the majority of what you're saying is true, but I need to do another 10% to truly get in to your good graces. I appreciate the work that you did, and I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was, lived here on this earth a sinless life, that he died and was buried and rose again. But God, I know that there's still, I, if I could just spend a little more time in the Word and let it begin to change me, I know at that point you'd really love me for who I am. So I attach a percentage to God's love. And if I'm in the legalist camp, then I have to believe that God wants his followers to be miserable. 
We wouldn't say this. We wouldn't say this, but I, 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 it's almost as if I believe that he, his goal is to rob me of life. And it's, if it's fun, it's not going to happen. He's trying to take away the fullness. It would be very similar to a husband and wife who get into a marriage. They walk down the aisle and then they just say, man, you know what? The, the wife is like, I would love to be in a marriage with a husband who hates everything that we're doing, never gets off his lazy rear end as a knucklehead for the rest of my life until I meet sweet death. Oh, isn't this amazing? This is the best thing ever. I've dreamt of being in a miserable marriage covenant relationship. Or the man who would say, man, I hope to one day find a woman who will every day relentlessly point out and critique every single one of my flaws and tell me why I could be better and be like this person. Man, I would love to be in a marriage relationship where I am completely and utterly miserable until that day of sweet, sweet death. Thank you, Jesus. Sign me up. No, nobody watches that movie, do they? We don't read love stories like that. Well, half of us don't read anymore, right? So we don't watch that. We aren't lining up outside the single people in here not saying, please, sign me up. Where's that class? Is there a connect group for this? I'd like to be a part of that journey. Nobody is. But what are we drawn to? Sacrificial love. The notebook. Come on, don't judge me. I cry every time. Every time. Why? He goes back to that nursing home every day. He tells her the same story. 51st dates. He pushes the VHS tape in. We don't even have them anymore, but I want one because it worked for him. He's on a boat in Alaska. What's he doing? Reaffirming his love every day. Every day. Every day. Doing everything he can to get her to fall in love with her, him again. We sign up for those movies. We remember. You knew. You went and you visualized Adam Sandler on the boat in Alaska because you know what I'm talking about. Those are the movies that inspire us. Those are the stories that are like, man, I love that. I love that. Sacrificial love. Delighted love. Stories of people who are so in love that it's inspirational. Have you ever been around a couple like that? That have been married for 30 years and they're like cute swinging hands and kissing in public? You don't even kiss in public anymore. You did when you were 16 in line in Disneyland molesting each other. And then for some reason after you get married, it's like we don't even touch anymore until you get like that 30-year mark. And then all of a sudden, man, you're just like, gosh, I want that. Why? Because they delight in each other. They delight in it. Maybe some of you, man, let's just pause. Some of you need to hold hands with your wife today. Just grab her hand when you leave the class. Every married couple should be holding hands down the corridor. If you see a married couple not doing that, just run up and scream loud noises in their ear until they do. That's the kind of love that we respond to, not the whole, if you don't get better, I'm going to blow you up kind of thing. Right? Like God's up there going, hey, don't make me drop that cancer on you. Hey, listen, you might think that's foolish. You might think that's foolish. I don't know why it's a good song. You might think it's foolish, but there are people, literally, there are people who follow Christ that believe that some sickness is God saying, that's what I told you. You should have obeyed me. 
And that is not who our God is. But at the same time, you know what movies we don't like? Well, actually, we might like the movie, but the stories where the husband is running around and his wife, and it creates that sick feeling in your gut. That, that, that woman who's running around on her husband and it creates that sick feeling in your gut because they're abusing the covenant that they, they got into when they walked down the aisle to get married. So it's not just about trying to earn the favor of God here. It's also about not abusing the grace of God. Are you tracking with me? We love that sacrificial, delighted love, and that's what God wants for you and for me. That's what grace is. The sacrificial delight in you as an individual, and you can do nothing to earn it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just continue on. The license camp must believe God's intent is to take from me joy and fullness of life. I just know better. See, you would never say it, but you're just going to do whatever you want, God. I've got this thing. I don't really need you. I know better than you. The people in the license camp would never say that, but our lifestyle would reflect that. I just know a little better than you. I've got a better plan. I love you. Thank you, but I've got this because, man, there are just some things that I want to do. And I, there are just some things that I like to accomplish. And I just don't know if I sell out to you that I can experience life to the fullness like some people say. As if God would send his one and only son to live a sinless life and to die a sacrificial death to provide you with some sort of mediocre lifestyle. Like that just kind of somewhat means something, but not really. No, God, I, I know better, and I, there's just some things I've got to do, and you, it's old school, it's outdated, it just let me be. The legalist camp, the license camp, we just don't listen to that scripture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not waiting to strike while the iron is hot when you make just enough mistakes and not providing some halfway decent life, but life more abundantly. Ephesians says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or imagine. Somebody said, come on, I think we should keep coming out. You know, this has been at work since the beginning of time. Can I, we're going to journey through Genesis for a couple of minutes. I've got 16 minutes. I think I'm going to knock it out today. We're going to read through Genesis 1. Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, because you're going to find that this challenge, this battle has been at place since the beginning of time. Since humanity was created, this has been the battle. Our response to God's love and grace for us has always been to head in one of two directions. Listen to what Genesis 1, chapter 28 through 30. Genesis chapter 1, it's in the very beginning of your Bible. If you're, if you, or you can read it on the screen so I can tell none of y'all are moving quickly. So Genesis 1, <laughs> chapter 28. I can see silhouettes. Chapter 28 through 30, it says this. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold. I have given you, what's that word? 
Every plant yielding seeds that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens. And to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant of food. And it was so. He's talking to Adam and Eve here. They're a husband and wife. They're butt naked. And he says, I've given you everything. So let me get this straight, God. I get to run around naked with a hot woman designed perfectly for me. I'm in charge of everything. I'm naming animals and can eat almost everything that I can see. Sign me up, please. Can I get an amen for that? Holy crap, Adam. Everything you could possibly need is there. It's there. Apparently, y'all are not excited about this. Like, that's my heaven. I feel like I could dive descriptive. This would be very bad. But that's my heaven. And listen, another passage of Scripture says that they were naked and they knew no shame. We could take minutes, maybe hours here. This is before sin has entered. They are completely uncovered. And there's no shame. There's no disease. There's no problems. There's no fighting. There's no bickering. There's no toilet paper up or toilet paper down. Squeezing toothpaste from. There's no freaking cavities. Yeah. There's none of that. They were naked and knew no shame. Let's read on. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Notice they're working here before the fall. So work wasn't a result of the fall. We just got to work. So somebody say, do work. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, let me get this straight still, just to make sure I'm tracking with you, God. There's no hurt, there's no shame, there's no loss, there's no disease, there's no fighting, there's no argument. I'm running around with a hot, naked woman, and I have dominion over all of the earth. And you don't want me to eat from one tree? This is ridiculous. Oh, the humanity. One rule. That is it. Yesterday, we were at home on Saturday, and, and I, my dog just started barking. I said, hey, Brooklyn, I need you to take the dog for a walk. The dog that you begged me for for a year and a half. The dog that you paid half of that stinking price. That stupid dog that diaried all over my house all night last night. That stupid dog. The one that you begged me and prayed for every night. Can you take that dog for a walk? And she goes, ah. I already took her for a walk. Guess what? She's going to need to... That hurt my forehead. She's going to need to go for a walk three to four times a day until she dies. I'm praying that's not very long, but you're praying it's 14 to 15 years. Ah, Dad! I'm just tired. It's summer. What do you have to be tired for? Nobody woke you up this morning. You rolled out of bed when your eyes opened. 
<clears throat> she grabs the leash, takes her on like this seven-second walk, comes back, so I got the whiteboard out. And I said, let's talk for a minute. What are all the things that you get to do because you're a pastor's kid? Let's write this down. And we made this fun. Oh, let's tell, oh yeah, remember that time we did this? We're writing these things down, and we have like 12 things. Like Not just being a parent, but you're a pastor's freaking kid. It's the greatest thing ever, right? How awesome. Write this down. There's like 12 or 13 things here, and all of those things equal a plethora. Yes, I use that word. A plethora, it extends beyond these 12. So wouldn't you say, if you multiply each of these out by, say, 50 to 100 times, we're talking thousands of benefits here. She's like, yeah, I love being a pastor's kid. I said, let's erase this now. Now let's talk about the things you have to do. Brush my teeth. Baby, you want to brush your teeth. Avery's like, I don't. I said, when you get a boyfriend, you will. Yep, I do, Dad. Let's leave that there. Make my bed. Okay, good. Make bed. Clean my room. Okay, good. Clean room. Boom. What else do you have to do? Clean up around the house. Okay, clean up around the house. Boom. Okay. Does everybody else in this house make their bed and clean their room? Yeah. Okay, so everybody does this one. What about you? What do you, does everybody else in this house clean up the house? Yeah. How much of the house do you think you clean up? 10%? Would you say that's pretty fair? I'm talking to an 11-year-old. Do you, fair 10%? Avery's about 5%, 15%, right? That leaves the rest of us with 85% of the house to clean up? Yeah. Okay, let's write that down. 15%. What else do you have to do? Walk the dog. The, your, whose dog is it? My dog. Who bought the dog? You did. did you ask me the dog every day for a year? Yeah, okay. So you have to walk your dog. Yeah, okay. How much would you say you walk your dog? It's a long story. Do you walk it all the time? No. Do you feed it all the time? When was the last time you fed it? Wednesday of last week. So one time in eight days. So let's say you take care of the dog 70% of the time. Is that fair? 30% mom and dad? 70? Yeah, okay. Anything else that you have to do on your own? Empty the dishwasher. Done. Ding, ding, ding. Empty the freaking, in all caps, dishwasher. Now let's compare this, and I'm yelling at her, and I'm slapping her. No, I'm kidding. Are y'all tracking with me? Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they have everything before them. And God says, here's one thing I don't want you to do. Isn't that like us in life? The fullness and the goodness of God. And we freak out over the tiny little things that he says, hey, don't do this because it will take away from the fullness and the promises that I have for you. And guess what? They couldn't stay away. Genesis 3, 1 through 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Listen to this last phrase, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say don't touch it. They added another rule. Right there, legalism. When was the last time your kids added a rule to a rule that you gave them? When was the last time you drove 15 miles an hour under the speed limit just to be careful? Just want to be a great civilian. 
I'm stopping at yellow lights now. And yet, there are some of us that walk in here with our head hung low in shame because we don't feel like we've been good enough to receive the fullness and delight and love of our God. I'm talking a lot of people. Legalism right here in the very beginning. God said we can't eat that and neither shall we touch it. But God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Translation, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, not knowing good and evil. Do you hear the lie right there? Do you hear the lie? God doesn't really know what's best for you. It's really not a big deal. The lie is that God is withholding something from me that I want or need to experience fullness. Right there, legalism and license. The beginning of humanity. I got to take matters in my own hand, God. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I can take an hour to preach on that real quickly because some of the men were like, yeah, the woman ate first. But we can actually hang the fall of humanity on the passivity of her husband who was there beside her and did nothing. We'll move on. Some of your wives just elbowed your husband. You need to put your elbow back in. Just let me handle that part. Verse 7. Listen to this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew That they were naked. Sin enters the world. And so does shame. Nobody told them they were naked. They had been naked their whole lives. Nothing had changed but sin. Shame enters the world. And then what are we going to do? They try to hide. They try to fix the problem. God's about to show up and we don't know how he's going to respond So I have to do something to fix this. Legalism. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't this legalism? We don't know what God's going to do. So while we're trying to fix it, let's hide. Let's hide and try to fix what our problem is. And the challenge is, even as Christ followers, we can often hide in plain sight. In fact, I would be willing to suggest that you can actually hide in church. All you have to do is be around long enough to learn the lingo. Bless God. You know, it's been a rough day, but he's exalted and seated on the throne. What? You're in here long enough for praise and worship, and you know which songs to clap your hands. Even if you're white and you clap off beat, you can still do this. And you know the slow songs, we raise our hands. Right here is for the shy people. Right here is for the somewhat confident. Right here for those that are a little bit crazy about Jesus. 
an outside-in change. If I adjust the outside enough, then God will delight in me. The challenge is both of these are damaging. Attempting to earn the favor of God or hide while I try to fix things ultimately leads to slavery. Right? Didn't Paul say, hey, why do you continue in the law of sin? Why do you still stay as slaves to the law of sin when God's given you grace? But here's the other challenge. Believing that I'm smarter than God for the fullness of my life also leads to slavery. That's why Paul said, well, then if the law and all the rules are not what I need, then maybe I should continue in sin that grace may abound. And he said, no, how foolish of a thought for that is also slavery. How many times does doing everything that you want and never denying yourself work out for you? I think all of us could share a few stories about that. The hurt and the pain, the shame and the regret. These things have been at work for centuries, millennia. Since the history of the creation of mankind, we've been touched by the grace and the power of God, and yet we tend to go one of two directions, all based on our mistrust. Our failure to believe God is word, either to believe that he wants me to be miserable and to loathe and to hate life until I earn his goodness, his righteousness, his favor and delight in me. Or to believe the lie that I know just a little bit better than he does. All based on a, on a mistrust in who God is. All leading towards slavery. And our only hope is in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Whether you sit in the legalist camp or in the licensed camp. Both directions are doomed to slavery. Our only hope, our only hope, let me say it again. Our only hope is in the saving work of Jesus Christ. I want to read you a scripture that you may have read before. It's somewhat confusing as the clock ticks down. I want to read, so bear with me as I wrap this up in about five minutes. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. You may have read this before. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26, and it reads like this. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. And whether you've been in church a long time or a short time, you've probably heard this next passage. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me just explain to you what that means. If you were to take that and dissect it from back of the, the last verse that I read all the way to the very beginning of that passage, let me explain to you what this passage means. It's this, that a gift has been given you and that gift is grace. And grace means unmerited favor. And this grace reveals the glory and the love 
and the delight of God in you and in me. Remember it said, there is no discretion for this grace and this love. And how is that revealed? By saving you and me despite of me. In spite of my weaknesses, my failures, my shortcomings, my successes. I'm made right and I can do nothing to earn this gift. It is a gift. The passage goes on and I want to read this to you. It's verse 24. I know it's a long passage, but I'm going somewhere with this. It says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I'd be willing to bet the life of Matthew Gailey that none of you in this room have used the word propitiation this week. Would I be right? One of you? Sorry, Matt. I apologize. He's like, I'm not even listening. I'm just worshiping. The word propitiation, you may have read that, and you, you thought you said a curse word when you read it. What does that even mean? Well, let me just unpack it through the life of one of the chief Bible characters named David. One of my favorite characters. So David was a man that the Bible says that God said, David is a man after my own heart. So God looked at David and saw everything that he was, and he said, that right there is a man after my own heart. And here's the problem with that statement. David was a murdering adulterer. He committed adultery and then murdered the husband of the wife that he cheated with. So how can a just God say that David, a murdering adulterer, is a man from my own heart? Now listen, I think David trumps all of the sin cards that all of us in this room hold. Some of you might be able to say, I've got the adultering part done. If you're a murderer and you're here, we got problems. Please point to them immediately following this service. We have the authorities on their way. I think David gets the sin trump card here. Murdering adulterer. God says he is a man after my own heart. How can he say that? Well, you just read it. He's the just justifying our sins. You see, when he sent Jesus... To live a sinless life and to die on the cross. He died for all former and future sins. So that means you, you weren't here. I don't think any of you are old enough to be here when Jesus lived. None of you were even born. You weren't even a thought in your great, 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 great grandmother's life. And yet all of us have lived a life of sin. And so when Jesus died thousands of years ago, he paid the price for all of sin, for all of humanity, including future sins. Every sin that everyone in this room would commit and former sins, as we just read in this passage. So when God looked at his son, David, or his servant, David, and said, that's a man after my own heart, he doesn't see the filth 
and the nastiness of a murdering adulterer, he sees Jesus on the cross paying sin's price. That is called grace, my friends. He does not see every single action that you have taken and look at you with disappointment and think, when will you finally get the picture so I can unleash my favor and delight on you? No, he looks to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he sees through the eyes of grace that you could never in a billion years earn. And Jesus paid that price in an instant for you. And you can't pray enough. You can't read enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't fix enough. You can't serve enough. You can't stop enough to get more favor and delight from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And look at me in the eyes. Don't you think that if we have a God that is that good, that no matter how much you think you know about your life, No matter how great you think your plans are, don't you think that maybe, just maybe, his plans are better? That when he says, I came to give life and life more abundantly, it includes you too. And so sure, there might be some things that he says, hey, please don't do that. Please don't go there. What he's saying is, I've got more in store for you. It's my grace. It's my grace. Which means that this same grace is affordable to all who what? Believe. Believe. Some of you came in here today hiding. Trying to hide in plain sight. Some of you debated coming because of decisions that you made today or this week or this month or this year. So, I mean, I just got to fix things before I get right. Some of you may be in the license camp thinking, man, I'm going to pick and choose which of these things I'm going to adhere to my life. And the rest of it, God, I just know a little bit better. Because you're pursuing that fullness of life, but I'm telling you, you're pursuing it in the wrong direction. His grace is available and affordable to you and to me if we believe. And you can do nothing to earn it. It is a free gift. So for some of you today, there should be some freedom. To stop putting limitations to God's favor and delight in your life. Some of you, there should be freedom to begin putting limitations to your life to experience the fullness of who God is. Y'all tracking with me? I don't know where where you are or what what journey you're in in this moment, but I can tell you that his grace is sufficient for you. Some of you might be thinking, man, that's crazy. You can say that because you're a pastor. You know, I I can't say that because I'm a pastor. I can say that because I've received that grace. Man, I lived a life of hiding it until I could fix it. In church every Sunday, my parents were pastors. I married a preacher's daughter. But before I got married, I was so good at hiding what was happening on the inside that got caught up in a relationship with a married woman that led to a divorce for that couple. I can raise my hand to the adulterer card. 
I'm going to tell you the shame and the guilt that came over me was overwhelming until I experienced God's grace. So I don't stand before you today. Man, I'm perfect, and this is what it looks like. But I stand before you as a recipient of God's grace. I don't know where you are in your journey, but you just need to receive God's grace where you're at today. And if you're here today, and you've never said yes to Jesus, then you can experience the fullness that I'm talking about. You don't have to get perfect to receive that. You don't have to fix everything. You just have to say yes. And the moment you do that, you begin a new journey of experiencing God's plan for your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody in this room to pray it out loud. And if you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer right where you're at in your own heart, I want you to mean it from the bottom of the depths of who you are. And if you're here today and you've been running from God, today's your day to come back to him. And as we pray this prayer, I want you to mean it from the depths of your heart. And I promise, I believe that the grace of God is going to sweep over you in a way you've never experienced it before. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and nobody looking around? In a moment, I'm going to have everybody pray this with me. But I, if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, just to say yes to Jesus, today is your day. And if you're here and you've been running, today's the day to come running back. Everybody in this room, just repeat after me. Just say, dear God. Come on, say, dear God. I know that you're real. I know that you love me. And I know that your grace is for me. God, the truth is, I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin. Now, everybody in this room, just repeat this phrase. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocmovement.com. Or, we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Till next time, Orange County.